right. You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend, Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be. About? Um, it's about uh, uh, puppies. Mm. People have been giving us a lot of feedback, so I have decided to make this a puppy podcast. A pupcast. So each week, I am going to describe a puppy to Gareth, mm. and Gareth will comment on... I'm in the rubrol. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the rubrol, so you'll comment on the puppy and whether or not you like the and puppy. And you're just going to describe the puppy to me. I don't get to see it. Yeah, yeah, I'll be like, so this puppy has... I think has, that's the best way to go. This puppy has long ears... Uh, big, big eyes. I would say bigger eyes, uh, front facing as opposed to backward facing eyes. Sure, it's a front facing dog. It's a front facing dog. Uh, it's got a mouth. It's got a nose. Beagle. Yes. How did you know? It's, boy, I'll tell you what. Who's not going to stick around for this? <laughs> <laughs> and called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait, is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, the Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action partner. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. So, I'll just say it. June 2nd, 1926, year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So, look, we did, a, we did the San Jose Bees episode recently, and as I was reading about the San Jose Bees, uh, I stumbled across this story. Uh, oh, so boy. It's re- so, it's related. So, this is, okay. Uh-huh. Is it a two-parter or a three-parter? Is it's it going to be just, a trilogy? It's just one. It's just one, one okay. more addition. All right. Frank Michael Verdi was born in Brooklyn, New York, to Michael and Ada Verdi. Most of his childhood, obviously, during the Great Depression, uh, which was really great. That's why I got the name. Verdi sad time. Verdi sad time. Frank's dad was a butcher, and Frank delivered meat for his dad on his bike. Okay. So just a... Nothing like a little bike meat. uh, Just a kid cruising around with meat on his bike. Did they- you hear that slap on the door on? It sounded like the kid <laughs> threw the bacon. It was the bacon boy. Uh, Italian and Jewish neighborhood. Frank's other job was uh, riding his bike from Jewish household to Jewish household, lighting candles and turning on electric lights for people inside who couldn't do it during the Sabbath. Oh, wow. This used okay. to... This happened to me when I first moved to L.A. My fiance, uh, God rest her soul, she... Uh, She's not dead. We just didn't make it. Um, but we lived next door to some Orthodox uh, uh, Jews, and, they, and sometimes they would come out and ask her if she could come in and turn on their lights. Well, when I, I painted this uh, Orthodox Jewish woman's home once, and she did, wouldn't, wouldn't let me take the mezuzahs off the door. Sure. And then eventually, she, she was very old. She couldn't do it. She was like, oh, fuck it. Go ahead. <laughs> 
1940, they moved to Crown Heights, uh, about a mile from Ebbets Field, which is where the Brooklyn Dodgers played. Uh huh. So the general manager, who the general manager I will from now on refer to as the GM, uh, GM of the sure. Dodgers was way ahead of his time. He was the first guy to put lights in a ballpark so games could be played at night. Isn't it amazing to think that nobody had done like that's just crazy? Yeah. Well, they didn't have night. It's too dark. There's no solution. <laughs> like and that was it. Well, there was great resistance. Like people. Oh wow. People thought baseball meant daytime game and i remember don't you remember when chicago when the cubs finally put lights in in like the ni- 80s or 90s and I don't. and everyone was there was a big don't do this thing and but it also it also opens it up to people who work during the day so it's like it's almost like it's more privileged right people who can get away for the day and go to yeah. a game it's an interesting sort of thing um but it's also just amazing the like the things that we have to get done, and then hearing that like night baseball was a struggle, it's like God. Damn I mean, it. we're talking. I, I want to say it was the '90s that they put lights at Wrigley Field, and it was a big, it was a big deal. People were, and also it's because of the playoffs. Like if they sleep at night, if your team was playing the Cubs in the playoffs, well, now your whole day is fucked up. Like you're talking about like a yeah. week of games for the playoffs, and then. You, it, it has to be during the day because it's Chicago. Yeah. Like, it's a mess. Right. Right. So, not anymore. Um, so, he all, the GM also talked the owners into putting $400,000 into renovations in the ballpark. So, in 1941, the Dodgers won the pennant. For a kid living a mile away, this is an amazing time, right? This ballpark, there's lights, there's renovations. It's, it's, like, great. Uh, we're orthodox, so we can't watch the television tonight. <laughs> Could you act out the game? <laughs> okay. Okay. Pitch by pitch. Sure. From the top. Do the anthem. Ooh, who's tossing out the first pitch? Do it all now. <laughs> Don't skip a goddamn moment. Okay. Uh, so Frank is, and his buddies, is, uh, they're just kids. They would hang outside Ebbets by a gas station to catch baseballs that were hit into the street by players during batting practice. Right. Obviously, there's other groups of kids that are there and they're all fighting over the balls because they want to get sure. a ball to go play baseball in a lot because they, okay. they can't afford a baseball. These kids, it's a pretty poor area. Wow, okay. So Frank is a good athlete. In high school, he played soccer, basketball, and baseball, and he told everyone that he wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. And some people laughed at him, even his teachers, would be like, <laughs> I'm just yeah. waiting, I'm waiting for him to hit a glove out of the park and then I'll start. <laughs> Uh, when, uh, when World War II came, he's grad, he graduates in 44, so he immediately joins the Navy. I think that was a law back then. Right. And, uh, he ends up playing baseball on the base team and then he's getting ready to be shipped out of his. So wait, they're playing base baseball. Yeah. Base, base baseball. It was really hard for me to write those sentences, but yeah, it's base baseball. Playing base baseball. Um, so he's put on a train. He's about to ship out to go to California to then be put in the South Pacific to fight. Oh, I thought he was going to fight Californians. No, hopefully that comes later. Uh, right. Yeah. That'll happen in like 10 years. So he's on the train and he hears someone yell his name and then say, get the hell off the train. 
because Admiral Nimitz had called and he had requested the base shortstop be sent to Hawaii to play on the Admiral's team and Frank is the backup shortstop. So if both shortstops are gone, then the base doesn't have a shortstop. <laughs> so so he got he was on a train to war, and then instead they're like, you're going to be a shortstop here. <laughs> Basically. You mentally prepare yourself for like, you're like, it's going to fucking, look, it's gonna, it is what it is. It's going to be really hard. I mean, I'm going to have to dig deep, but these are my brothers. And, you know, you got to be there for your brothers. You want to play baseball instead? Give me that bag. Give me the goddamn bag. <laughs> Hand me the bag. So that was it. He never, he never had to fight in the war. Oh. Grandpa, tell us about your war train story again. Well, this guy, this guy hits a ball at me. I'm talking about the war. This guy hits a ball (laughs) at me, and I go to my left. There we were, out of hot water in the tubs. (laughs) We needed to shower after batting practice. We didn't know what to do. Uh, So Frank gets discharged in 1946, and he gets offered a basketball scholarship to New York University. He's good. He's just a good athlete. Right. Some said Frank could have played professional basketball, but after a semester in uh, college, uh, New York Yankees offer him a contract. So he drops out and he joins the Yankees. His contract was for $200 a month, which would be about $2,300 a day. So that's decent. I think yeah. there's plenty of minor leagues, leaguers not making that today. Sure. After the deal was signed, the scout tried to be respectful by buying some meat from his dad's shop. <laughs> Wait, so he signed it. He's like, he, he signed the contract in. He must have signed it in the butcher shop, or maybe the butcher store was right above the house or whatever. But anyway, what you say me, have me that cleaver. <laughs> I'll sign it with that. That bloodied cleaver. There you go. Just my initials. So is, is that and that is that to sweeten the pot, or that's just sort of like to celebrate? I think he was just trying to be like super. He's like, hey, oh, you got meat here. Yeah, I'll buy some meat. Look at this. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> sign your boy. I'll, hey, give me two pounds of corned beef. <laughs> so yeah, and the, and the dad was like, uh, his dad said, "quote I don't want any money. Just please take care of my son. Look, don't worry about nah. the don't worry about the beef." Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about the beef. I just... Uh, if, if it's uh, just the same, I'd rather just buy some meat and not really be that overly concerned about him if that's okay <laughs> with everybody. Yeah, yeah, that... Okay, can you buy them? I'd rather do the meat and leave him to himself a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you should probably get prime rib Ooh, then. let me get one of these deli mustards. That'll be great. <laughs> I'm going to have a sandwich. Where's your kid? I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, so Frank kicks around the lower le- levels of baseball leagues. They, at this time, they're called B, C, and D. Um, okay. So the, those are the ones that are not the major league. So one of his roommates is Whitey Ford, who would go on to have a huge playing and managing career, big big name in baseball. And they and they would always remain friends for the rest of their life. And Whitey Ford introduces Frank to Pauline Pasquale. Okay. Now uh, Whitey's dating her sister, and when Frank meets Pauline, she is shooting baskets, making shot after shot. And it turns out she also played tennis and could throw a baseball 80 miles an hour. Okay. So she's so she's probably not going to go to war either. She's not going to war either. She's an all-around athlete. And uh, Frank and Pauline hit it off. They get married on f- uh, February 1951. She's 18. Okay. Which is How pretty. Is I think he is uh, 10, 20, 25. So not that bad. Okay. Not yeah, n- not nothing. Bad. It's not not that. It's still kind of creepy, for, but it's not that creepy. Oh, for that time, that's like, wow, you're really on the up and up. 18. <laughs> Are you going old, huh? Wow. All right. 
uh, yeah, I just can't, I still can't believe people get married at 18, but whatever. We'll talk about that. Another oh, time. yeah. Crazy. I, that is crazy. <laughs> My mother got married at 18. And there's a case really well. where it always works. Really well. It always works. Really well. Yeah. Name one thing that went wrong. Uh, so Frank's a good player. Solid hitter, very, very good on defense, very good on defense. There's something called the hidden ball trick in baseball. So there's a player, oh, there's, a runner, right. there's a runner on the bases. I used to be really good at this, too. There's a runner on the bases. <laughs> of course you were. This is a total you move. <laughs> I, I see you pulling this once every three batters. Oh, all the time. And a player on the field pretends he doesn't have the ball. There's a bunch of different he ways. He like fake throws it in, basically. You can fake throw it in. You can also walk in to have a meeting on the mound with the pitcher and take the ball and go back right. to your base. And, but either way, you tag the runner when he steps off the base, when he's getting ready to lead off. And Frank became known for the hidden ball trick, and it made him a fan favorite. Even though players knew he was going to try it, he would still get them out doing it. That's very frustrating if you're a player. You're like, God damn it. And then Frank had a really, like, one of the strongest desires to win. A columnist described him as, quote, hollering, hustling, fighting kind of ball player that fans naturally take to. Right. If you have a player who hides the ball a bunch, that probably adds, like, an hour to the game. <laughs> it, always, it always adds time. I mean, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, Where, who, who actually has it, Frank? <laughs> oh, I think he's doing the bit again. <laughs> Who's got the they fucking know. ball? Frank, they know. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the ball in a while. Oh, there's so many great tricks in baseball. Um, so he's a fan favorite. When he was playing in Birmingham, his team had a Frank Verdi night and gave him a, quote, nice hunk of cash from the Sons of Italy and his teammates. <laughs> what? Every, sons of, what is that, the mob? Every time he gets something that I read, it would there would always be like a, and then the Italian guys in the in the town gave him a thing. Like it was always. <laughs> is that of any relevance, or that's just no, the Italian guys? I think they're no, just they proud just... of their Italian player. They're like, hey, let's give them a thing with it. Well, they it's always. It seems it seems like being I, like I like I'm English. There's never any. You never like all right, English like Italian. Just seems so. <laughs> Like you just, fa- it is like it, 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 your family. It's the Olive Garden. Yeah, they're they're but very they're very close. You're Italian. I'm Italian. Get over here, you Italian. Buy you a drink. <laughs> You're English. Fuck off. That's right. Well, there's a reason for that. English, That's you're terrible. You're terrible. You have a terrible history. Oh, good. Name seventy five bad <laughs> in four minutes. <laughs> Uh, so in 1953, Frank makes it all the way to the Yankees spring training. So what that means is it's before the season. They're getting ready for the season. It means if you get invited there that you're in the upper echelons of players. Like you're, right. you have a possibility of making it, if not now, in the future, they consider you one of the top guys. So he kind of makes the team. Back then, how each... possible? <laughs> so he's not on the official roster, but each team has four extra players that they okay. can keep on the team till May 15th, and then they have to let those four players go. Right. So he's a, he's a Yankee, but only for home games, because those guys aren't allowed to travel with the team. Okay. He's a part-time Yankee? He's a, I even read it, it. Something I read, it, it was even like, and reporters didn't even know he was a part of the team. Like, it's just a weird. <laughs> it's, he's what we call a half Yankee. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing that they had. Yeah. yeah. 
And so uh, he, he pretty soon he learns the Yankees just have him on the team, hoping that another team, specifically the Phillies, will trade for him. So he's kind of like trade bait. So okay. in April, he was loosening up before a game. Uh, and they're playing the Reds and this practicing hiding the ball, hiding the ball, the ball, eating the sandwich, tagging the guy. Right. Uh, Johnny Temple is a player on the Reds and he just comes running up to Frank and he is fucking livid. His hands are in fists. And it turns out two years before there was this huge brawl during a game between two teams and someone stepped on Johnny's head <laughs> and he had to get 12 stitches. And ever since... Two years? Yeah. Ever since Temple had been searching out players who had been on that other team because, quote, I want to punch the dirty word on the nose. Just one punch. That's all I want. The dirty word? (laughs) He won't say it? Yeah. That's not how you do it. That's That's, not how you do language. That's how you do it. (laughs) No. That's like like an unanswered Mad Lib. Yeah. No. You say it. You say it. I'm going to get you, you dirty word. Yo, go. Uh, if you don't come out here, you dirty word, I'm going to drag your dirty word across the street. Then I'm going to hammer your dirty word with my hand. Show your wife a dirty word or two, and then I'm going to dirty word you and your dirty word. Dirty. You dirty words? Then don't dirty word with me. Your mom's a dirty word. Your mother's a dirty word. Your my mother's a saint. Your mom's the dirtiest word there is. Yeah, she's the dirtiest word. Your mother's the dirtiest word. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Your mother's the dirtiest word. You are a dirty word! (laughs) This whole system is a dirty word! I'm moving neighborhoods because I'm surrounded by you dirty words. That's it. We're leaving. We're going to Nashville, where there's not as many dirty words around. You dirty word holes. But it's great that a guy who gets his head trampled on is named Temple, (laughs) but... So, he charges up to Frank, fist-balled, and demands, he says, quote, are you the guy who stepped on me in Texas? And Frank says, no, I, I wasn't that guy. I was in the fight, but I didn't. There's no way I stepped on you. I don't do that kind of stuff. And Temple, Temple then goes, well, who did? For two years, every game I've played, someone passes the buck. This is going to be my career. And then Frank says, if I knew Johnny, I'd tell you, but I swear I don't. And Temple's like, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll cross you off the I'll cross you off the punch list, and then he that's it. He was like, all right, so that guy didn't do it. Who's the next guy? <laughs> this is the worst vengeance story that has ever happened in the history of America. Yeah, yeah. well, because if you just lie to Temple, then he goes away. It turns it's out it's going to be really hard. It turns out a guy who stepped on your head also might lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> Temple didn't learn about lying until 1963. You know, I think that was the thing some of those guys was doing to me for a long time. Lying. Uh, on, May, on Sunday, May 10th, 1953, the Yankees and Red Sox are playing in Boston. Now, for some reason, Frank is on the team. Um, okay. Maybe someone got hurt on the team and he filled the spot or whatever. But So he's in Boston. And in the seventh inning, he's put in the game as a shortstop. No one hits the ball to him. Then that inning, he goes up to hit, and the bases are loaded. And Frank walks to the plate and stands in, and then the Boston manager yells, timeout, comes out, he takes out the pitcher. Now, the reason to do this is because a right-handed pitcher pitches better against a right-handed hitter, so you want to switch to a left-handed hitter or a left-handed pitcher. So he brings in... Strategery. Right, so he brings in a pitcher that is 
I assume Frank was right-handed, so you bring in a right-handed pitcher. And then Frank's standing there, he gets in again, and then timeout, and then his manager yanks him out of the game. So that was Frank's only time as a major leaguer. He played one inning, no balls hit to him, he didn't even get to swing the bat, and then that was his Did entire... Did we talk about this on the other one? Yeah, he was in the San Jose Bees okay. one. That's, that's how I, I found like, out. That's how... I was like, this sounds very familiar. Yeah. Well, whatever bit I did last time... Will you cut it in here? <laughs> so it's May 13th. Uh, so two days before he's sent to AAA, Syracuse, and um, he was. So that happened two days before that, that deadline hits, right, of the May 15th. So, right. And so, so what, wait, what does that mean? That means that he... He was on that expanded roster, and he's those four yeah. players, and those four players are cut from the Yankees, and now he... Okay, so he... So he so it really is quite, I mean, like, <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. So he goes to Syracuse. At Syracuse, he's known, he's known for his temper. During a game in June, he was angry at the umpire for a couple of bad calls, so he threw a ball at the umpire, barely missing him. Jesus. And then, he ran, and then he ran over and argued with the umpire and kept bumping into him, and he was uh, kicked out of the game, fined $25, and spent three games. <laughs> throwing a well, ball... The was like, yeah, that's worse. Throwing a ball at an umpire is crazy. And then you argue, and he's like, that's it, you're bumping me, get out of here. <laughs> it's like, I threw an 80-mile-an-hour ball at your head. Yeah, I understand. <sighs> Now, you used to also be able to plow into the catcher in baseball. Like, the catcher would be waiting to catch a ball at home plate. And, and if you were a runner, you could just crush it. Line drive him, yeah. So, uh, in July, Frank was trying to score. And the catcher, the ball is thrown towards third base. So, the catcher is moving towards Frank. So, Frank did what he was taught. And he just fucking leveled him. And knocks the catcher out. Catcher has a concussion, a broken left cheekbone, and loses four teeth. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Jesus, that's quite a hit. Uh, Frank scored. Sure, sure. And then the next guy scored because the team couldn't I- find the ball because it was under the catcher. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Frank had it. Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> my patented move. <laughs> Dave, I'm starting to think he stepped on this guy's head. Uh, yeah, he could have been the stepper header guy. He played a couple more innings, but Frank also was taken out because of a, quote, severe headache and dizziness. So this is when you could just, yeah, like you hobble yourself and keep playing. Heads were helmets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He did the same thing. He he took out another catcher in August, but he hurt himself that time and his season was over. But at the end of the year, the Yankees won the World Series and the team voted to give Frank a $500 prize money. So... For that one at bat, when he didn't do anything, he got... <laughs> yeah, but there was, a lot, there was a lot going on there. It was a real chess match. He was caught in the middle. Um, so he kicks around baseball for uh, different teams the next three years. In 1955, he was in Columbus. He's an all-star, so he's a good player. Okay. He was in a massive brawl between the Columbus Jets and the Toronto Maple Leafs. One player on Toronto, Lou Limmer was the center of all the fighting. He started arguing with one of the Jets, and then another Jet came over and decked Limmer. Okay. So the next inning, Limmer's mad, 
and he's going into second base, and he slides hard and takes out the second baseman, Spook Jacobs. Good <laughs> he's not. Is, it's not racist. I mean, it's not racist. He's a white guy. He's a white guy. It then it, it's just it just is a different era. It's they called him Spook because he hit balls really light, and they would just go over the shortstop and drop, and they called and they thought it was spooky. <laughs> I don't know. I have many issues with this. Don't worry about Spooky. He'll get the ball over there. He hits haunted balls. What? He's got a ghost swing. Uh, so anyway, he slides in his Spook, and Spook, quote, got up quickly and decked Limmer with a series of four blows. Okay. So Limmer, Limmer's yeah. having a bad fucking day. Limmer's having a real... Sure. He's been knocked down twice. Yep, and then he retaliated and he's been punched. Well, so now a full-on brawl breaks out between the two teams. In the middle of it, quote, Frank Verdi floored Limmer a third time. So, and there's a picture of this in the newspaper of just Frank standing over a decked Limmer. And then the cops have to rush on the field to stop the, the brawl. 11 sheriffs and seven cops... To stop the players from fighting. Eleven sheriffs. That cop number is crazy. More <laughs> sheriffs than cops. And, and who can order who? And uh, two players were hospitalized. Uh, oh. One, another one, a completely different guy, had a broken arm from punching Limmer. Oh. And Limmer in the in the paper was described as quote bruised. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So the fuse got bruised. <laughs> so with Columbus each morning, players got a special meal ticket. The special they just got a meal ticket that they had to use at a local restaurant. Okay. So there weren't a lot of menu options, and after having scrambled eggs for seventeen days in a row, oh, what? Well, this is when I can forgive any sort of behavior that anybody has. <laughs> he he asked the waiter for something different, and the waiter snaps back, "Quote, nah, scrambled eggs. That's it." Oh, my God. What? That's not how it works. Here, we order to you. It's your fuck-off plate of eggs. There you go. Eat these, dickhead. Uh, so Frank stood up and threw the scambled, scrambled eggs in the waiter's face and walked out. Wow. I see. I, 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 did, you don't get to see scenes like that too much anymore. I would love to see that. <laughs> see someone just like... Tell them what they're going to order, and then someone else put the eggs in their face. So he's walking up the street, and a car pulls up beside him, and it's the team GM, who he's friends with. And the GM rolls down his window and tells Frank that he's been sold to Rochester. <laughs> Not traded? Sold? Sold. I think you could sell players back then. We sold you. What'd you get? Uh, some scrambled eggs. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're not very good, and I love eggs. So he goes to Rochester. He plays for three seasons, and he makes the all-star team. So he's a good player. Like, he's, he keeps making yeah. the all-star team. Uh-huh. Now, you know who else was uh, really an athletic kid was Fidel Castro. Oh, okay, Dave, you just were saying he's a good player so many times that I was like, the turn is coming. <laughs> 
Uh, Fidel Castro played on uh, a basketball team. He was a track star. He played baseball. He was on the Houston Castros. And, yes, and he was a ping pong champion. Hmm. Is that true? It's what I read in this book. I couldn't, I, yeah. Interesting. As a pitcher, he threw hard, but he didn't have great control. He tried out, but did not make the University of Havana team. Uh, it's been reported by many that he was scouted by major league teams and had a tryout with the Washington Sen- Senators, but that's all false. He, did, he was not that good. That okay. stuff's just all made up, probably by you know Castro and his crew trying to make him seem better than he was at baseball for some reason. Right. Um, yeah. that's, what we, that's what we do. We inflate the, the backstories of leaders. Yeah, that's right. Because they need to be superheroes. Um, so the main scout in Cuba, there was like this main guy. He had no idea. He, he, he doesn't have any notes about Castro. But Fidel did go to the scout two times. He went to his camps without an invitation. Anyway, nothing comes of it. So okay. at the University of Havana, Fidel played basketball. Also, Fidel was from a, a rich, richer family. So um, baseball is mainly played by poor it was mostly the the ancestors of people who had been slaves. It, it was definitely an economic, you know, thing there. Right. Um, but he he obviously spent Fidel obviously spent most of his time on politics and uh, the revolution instead of sports. And on July 26, nineteen fifty three, Castro led a failed attack on army barracks in Santiago de Cuba. A couple they can like come on a yacht. They I mean it doesn't go well. <laughs> Oh, and uh, yacht attacks normally work. A couple of years later, Castro and other revolutionaries formed the revolutionary organization, the 26th of July movement. So like saying that that attack was the beginning of the revolution. So they're sort of. Is that just a safe face for a revolution? <laughs> no, uh, I think I think they're just saying that was only the beginning and we're, there's going right. to be a lot more coming. We have more yachts. That's right. Many more yachts. Yeah, they became known as uh, they became known. They became known as sure. Barbudos. Okay, the bearded ones. Ooh, uh, that I like. The length of the beard indicated how long you had served the revolution. Ooh, this is yes. Yeah, this, this is some I'm shit. behind. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on January 1959, Cuba, Castro basically takes control of Cuba. There was a Havana AAA team called the Sugar Kings who were part of the Washington Senators organization, and they played in the Florida League. So it's just like any other. At that point, it's just like any other place. It's full of uh, Americans that have been put in the AAA organization, and you know, it's, just, it's just a minor league team. Yeah. It happens to be in Cuba. So, five days after taking over, the Barbudos were invited to attend a Sugar Kings game for free. It's a big love fest between the fans and the Barbudos. When one of the Sugar Kings hit a home run, a Barbudos jumped the fence and ran onto the field and hugged him. Okay. And one of Castro's, one of Castro's first acts is to underwrite the debt of the Sugar, King, uh, Sugar Kings. The team won the title that year. To raise money for the club... The 26th of July movement put together a team to play exhibition games, and they named the team Los Barbudos. 
They and why did they make the team to play against the Sugar Kings? To no to no to play exhibition matches to raise money for the Sugar Kings. Oh, pure, okay. All right, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. For the anniversary of the 26th of July, Castro set up an exhibition game between Los Barbudos and the Cuban National Police. Everyone wants to see the National Police play that. Who who wouldn't? I mean, that's what like, is I'm, going on. I'm right what? now so excited. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, that would be great. We challenge the police to a game of baseball. <laughs> so the police are going to play the bearded guys That's in right. an exhibition game to raise money for the Sugar King. That's right. Okay. The day after that, there would be a game between the Sugar Kings and Frank's Rochester Red Wings. Now that... Okay. All right. So worlds are um, colliding. Now, they're also going to play... They're also going to finish a game that had been... Suspended. I don't know why, but they there was a game that got stopped in the seventh inning, so they're going to pick that one up, finish that one, okay. and then play the next one. That, that's got to be so weird to play, like, two innings to finish a game. Oh, yeah. It's super weird. Uh, so the game between the Barbudos and the police, was it's basically PR for Castro. He practiced all day in his hotel room for his brief what, game. What did he yes, do? I don't look. What is he doing? What I keep doing. I can't tell you how many times I tried to figure out what this meant. But he practiced baseball he, in his hotel he room. Practiced baseball in his hotel. Look, room? he can do it. He's the fucking leader. But yeah, in his I'm hotel going to throw room. Throw this orange into that couch <laughs> pillow over and over again, warming up for the big game today. Then, after that, batting practice with this towel. I'll swing it like it's a bat. It's time to then slide to, into the tub. Then I'm going to run the bases by putting pillows at each corner of the bed. And then I will be ready for the big game today. So most pictures of Castro, this is another thing about his, the myth of him playing baseball, is they mostly come from this game, all the pictures of him playing baseball. That's the best. <laughs> I love that stuff. It's the, largest, <laughs> it's the largest baseball crowd of the year. There's 26,532 fans. In the stadium. So Castro came in and pitched an inning, and he struck out two. Okay. He also apparently covered first on a ground ball to shortstop. Now, for those who don't know baseball, that's not something you ever do. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's something you, you learn not to do in, like, when you're six. You don't, okay. <laughs> you don't cover first when you're right. on a... When you're a pitcher, uh, it's a ball. No, you don't. So um, when he struck out the second guy, he actually, it was such a bad call that he ran down and shook the umpire's hand. Wow. I just, the, it's very, uh, it's out there. It's obvious. <laughs> uh, so that umpire must have been like, I made the wrong call. You know, when a pitcher shakes your hand and thanks you, you fucked up. That was great. Thank you so much. So that's the that's the game of the um, of the Barbudos versus the police, right? Okay. So that's the big thing. Now the next day, the Red Wings and Sugar Kings are finishing the suspended game and then playing the full game after that. Right. So the stadium is packed with Guajiros, Guajiros, who are peasants from the countryside, and uh, Barbudos, right? So it's okay. it's, so the long- it's it's the communist base of the. Right, of the country. Okay, okay. The Rochester manager realized this might not be a great night. So at the beginning of the game, they have a, 
they have, they have a meeting with the umpires and the managers at home plate, and they mostly just talk about the lineups and and if there's anything they need to know. And at this home plate meeting, the umpires are talking about what they would do if there was too much fan interference. <laughs> wow, that is amazing feedback. So let's walk you through the lineup. We're just trying to figure out what's going to happen when the fans storm the field. So you run over there. Uh, what we'll do is we'll kind of switch places. And then I think we'll be able to make it through some of those emergency exits. A lot of the players are going to die. Would you want to talk about lineups? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, Great. So what are you doing? Is there anything strange we should know about? We're probably not going to make it past the third inning. So who do you have for the first two? Oh, uh, yeah, it's just we got them li- li- numbered here, one through nine. That's how we usually do it. Okay, great. We'll use those. And they're all, they all have, uh, they're armed, obviously? No, no. My guys don't have weapons. Hmm, okay. All right, good luck out there. <laughs> play ball! So they play the suspended game. The next game goes into extra innings. It's in overtime. It's 3-3. Okay. As it gets later, the crowd gets bigger and bigger. I mean, people are just packing in the stadium. So now it's 35,000 people. Oh, Jesus. At midnight, it's the 10th inning. So they're supposed to be gone already. It's, the stadium goes dark. And then a spotlight lights up the Cuban flag in center field. And then the national anthem is played all the way through because it is July 26th, the anniversary. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Of the movement. They're playing into the anniversary? Well, the anniversary is just it's midnight. It just happened. So okay. lights come back on, uh-huh. and people start shooting their guns into the air. Jesus Christ. Inside and outside the stadium. Everyone's Jesus just fucking Christ. shooting their guns. Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, a one Cuban guy said a man sitting next to him near the visitor's dugout stood and shot his pistol into the on-deck circle until it was empty. What the fuck? So if you're out there, I mean, there, there's, I mean, what do you, do you don't, incoming! <laughs> like, what do you do? You go to the mound? Just duck behind it? Hold up home plate up over your heart? The on-deck circle is a circle near the dugout where, where batters Practice their swings. 30,000 people are firing guns. And it's not all 30,000, but there's a lot of guns being shot. (laughs) 10,000 guns? (laughs) Uh, The Rochester manager said a soldier shot a pistol into the ground in front of their dugout. Now, the the Rochester players have no fucking idea what's going on. They don't know about the revolutionary date. They don't know. They're like, we're going to die tonight. Frank, quote, bullets were falling out of the sky everywhere. We didn't know what in the hell was happening. Oh, my God. After a while, everything settles down. The shooting mostly stops. Mostly. There's still one guy who's like, come on. It's like the guy who keeps the wave going too long. You're like, stop, dude. We're not doing the wave again. Come on. We'll do the wave again. One, two, three. Fire your guns again. <laughs> Let's well, keep shooting. If you've ever been to a baseball game, you know, here in America now, they shut off drinks in the middle of the seventh inning yes. because people got too shit-faced over nine innings, and it was just too crazy. It, but it is a so – that, that, again, is a good – it's a nice try, but the loophole is, again, very simple. You just right before that yeah. load up on a ton of beer. Yeah, you buy four beers. Yeah, you got to camel it back to your seat, but then you're like, gentlemen, we have 18 beers for 45 minutes. (laughs) 
So I'm assuming these people are also just shit-faced. Yeah, okay. Sure. sure. So everything settles down, so they start the game again, but there's still an occasional gunshot. So Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Oh, wait, sorry. Thought that, uh, so I'm a little... I'm jumpy because they shot me. <laughs> In the 11th inning, Rochester homers and takes the lead. Oh, no. So ha- <laughs> No, no, no. Havana comes up in the bottom of the inning, and a player hits a double. Now, the Rochester manager thinks the player did not step on first base, and so he should be out. So he charges out and starts an argument with the umpire. He's convinced no, 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 this guy no, no, did not no. step on the base. It's getting heated. It's, I mean, you know, baseball arguments are, are too, is a manager just fucking screaming as loud as he can at an umpire. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the umpire is obviously not going to change the call because it's a stadium full of people with fucking guns, and he's not going to yeah. be like, yeah, that guy missed the base, he's out, because then they'll kill him. Like, he's not, yeah. not going to yeah, do he's it. Like, this is a pad. It's not Kevlar. But the Rochester manager is so into the fucking game that he's just absolutely not thinking of this. And then the, then the umpire throws him out of the game. He's like, you're out. Crowd goes fucking crazy. Shooting guns, they, they're so excited. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. So all the guns are being shot again. And then they start playing again, and the Havana player scores. Crowd goes crazy. So now it's tied up again. So it's gonna keep, the game's going to keep going. Good, yeah. Play it, into the, play it until the 27th. That's the move. So Frank couldn't play because he had been hit by a pitch a couple weeks before. He's injured. Okay. But he still travels with the team. That's pretty customary. So he's the older guy, so he takes over as manager when the manager's kicked out of the game. Wow. Okay. What a, what a great day. De- what a good first step into the managerial world. <laughs> all right, so we're in extra innings on their revolution holiday, and they're all drunk and armed. Let's go win this one. So he goes out to coach third base. At the beginning of the bottom of the top of the inning. So basically that means that in baseball there's a, a coach at first and third and they tell the the yeah. runners whether to run to the next base or not. And yeah. to slide and shit like that. So as the next inning starts, he's standing in the third base box and a bullet hits Frank in the head. Now Okay, so a uh, <laughs> a I now the it is from a gun or a hand. Well, it's not from a hand, but it's also kind of not from a gun. Okay. So he has a hard plastic. Not from a gun. Well, it is, but it's not. So it took a longer route. It took a longer route. So oh, it's like the, the wearing... bullet that killed Kennedy. <laughs> It's the same one. It's the same bullet. It's, the, it's, it's that same animated bullet that's just been making its way through the world slowly. <laughs> like, hey, I go back, and I go forth, and I go in, and I go out, and I go fast, and I go slow. I'm a magic bullet. Yo! So Frank has a plastic, a hard plastic insert in his helmet. Some players used them uh, instead of a batting helmet back then. So it's like a hard right. plastic thing. It's protective. So the, right. the insert saves him. The bullet hits the insert, goes through part of his ear, and then bounces off his shoulder. So he gets shot in the head. Well, it turns out the bullet had been shot into the air and come down and landed on his head. 
Oh my God, that is, if that, I mean, I know that is uh, something that happens, but on a night like that, if that happens, you've got to be like, well, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> like they're just shooting in the sky. You're like, they're going to come back down. There's always in America, there's always like six people that die on New Year's Eve when people shoot into the sky. Oh, uh, that is, that is, that, I think that's how I want to go. Yeah. So, Frank. So Frank goes down. Uh, Frank, quote, if that bullet had been two inches to the left, the boys on the ball club would have had to chip in $5 a piece for flowers. Dave, what lasted longer, his major league uh, batting career or his managerial career? That seems pretty (laughs) short shelf life-wise. So um, moments later, after Frank is hit, the Havana shortstop is grazed on the shoulder by a bullet. And he's like, he's like hurt. Like he's like down. So the umpires call the game. They're like, that's it. And two players have been shot. That's the rule. (laughs) You know, the rule boys, only two can be shot. One player gets shot and you take a timeout, you regroup, but two, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's a warning. That's a warning shot. So uh, Frank is carried off the field by some teammates and into the locker room. His, the Are te- they doing it like over the head like they won? <laughs> that's, I think that's still the way you should do it, even if it's a bullet wound. <laughs> Come on, so, put him on the shoulders. Make him feel good. So the Rochester players are f- absolutely terrified. Uh, Frank and the manager quickly realized if the manager had been out there, he would have been hit by that bullet and died because he didn't wear a plastic insert in his helmet. I mean, as tragic as that would have been, you also have to think about the runner who would have no clue what to do at first. <laughs> I assume he just runs home and scores. <laughs> he just keeps running past the base through a wall. Tanny, Tony, no! The, the umpires start calling the league president to try to figure out what to do. They don't, they're like, can we call this game because of uh, a shooting? Like how does, what are the I'll rules? That. I'm uh, not in the league or in the era. And the answer is yes, you may. <laughs> but the Rochester uh, manager and GM are not about to find out. They get to the team on a bus and to the hotel and quickly buy tickets on the next plane headed from Miami. Yeah. Which is going to be the next day. Right. Cuban baseball officials, immediately yeah. say the crowd was not out of control and no. <laughs> no. saying Rochester has to play the rest of the game. <laughs> what? You're at the hotel. Like you're showered potentially. <laughs> so throughout the night, it continues. Cuban officials throughout the night, keep pressuring them to stay and play the game, finish the game. This the- would be like that show that we were going to do in San Francisco. When- <laughs> You ate garbage food at the airport and then got food poisoned and we had to cancel the shows for someone to be like, Dave, you got to do the second one. (laughs) We're going to wheel a toilet out there on there for you. You'll be fine. So the next day is is the 26th. So it's anniversary day. So the whole city, they're just shooting guns all the time. And the players... Who who at Rochester is in charge of the the traveling schedule? They have to be like, this was a real big mess up. My bad. (laughs) 
Sorry. What what baseball guy is going to know about the beginning of the communist revolution from seven years before? Like, he has no... You know, <laughs> it might not be a good idea to finish the one and play into the other on the day of the communist revolution, but <laughs> works out real good. So they're at the hotel as the shooting's happening. It's very tense. They're very freaked out. Um, two Cuban government officials come to the hotel... They meet the GM and the manager in the GM's hotel room. They, quote, pleaded, cajoled, and then even threatened to convince them to play. I love the last one. (laughs) The idea of ending on a threat after trying to be charming is fantastic. (laughs) Come on, please. All right. Well, you've really dug your heels in on this one. We're going to kill your family. Uh, What? Hmm? Uh, Kill your your family? Kill you? Cut your dick off? Maybe? Is that helping? No. No. No, Stab I, you? I no, I don't want to. We, we offered you free tickets to any games you wanted to come. You heard that part, right? Yeah, Did I don't. Free I don't want to be here or do this. Or I'm gonna hang you. We'll hang you tonight. No problem. We will do it. No, cut I'm not. I'm not. Why would I play if cut, do, take my take, balls? Take all. All the, we're gonna take all the players' balls, and now we're not talking about the ones you hit. We're talking about your genital ones. So. Unless you play. Just so I understand this, you're a Cuban Baseball League official. Yes. And I am just merely suggesting that I will remove your testicle. I tried to be nice, please. Look, we don't need to get... I don't want to make threats. Let's just do it for fun. I think we all... It got a little crazy back there, yeah, but everything's fine. Please? No. We're going to cut you from your anus through your spine (laughs) to the back of your head. Jesus Christ. Every player, we will do that too. This doesn't seem like baseball stuff. Do you guys like strawberries? Yeah. We have some of the best strawberries in the world here. Oh, I love you strawberries. You have to try them. I would love to. Well, some. I think if you have some of the, how about this? We give you guys a bunch of strawberries, and then you guys try those, and then you come back out and, uh, and you play. No, Frank almost died. We're going to take your brains out of your bodies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You understand us? I gotta, this is the worst negotiation I've ever been a part of. Just come down there and just get out three times real quick. Come on. Don't be weirdos. Everybody said they were going to calm down on shooting. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not, not, not doing it. I'm not doing it. Want a seven up? Nope. They just refuse to play. The Cuban officials finally leave just furious. They're fucking livid. These Americans are just such babies. The team was able to get transportation to the airport later that day, and they left the game officially a 4-4 tie. Uh, When they landed in the U.S., Frank called Pauline in Long Island, and she said, quote, I read in the paper you got shot in the head. Yeah, yeah, they shot me in the head. Uh, We tied, too. Won the first one, but uh, yeah, I was shot in the head. Uh, He assured her he's fine. It's like, no, honey, I just got hit in the head, but I'm fine. Just a bullet to the head. They were were shooting the moon. Landed on me. It's far different. It's like a bullet rained on me. It's like hail. So the Cuban minister, the Cuban sports minister, sent Rochester an official apology the next week and assured them that Havana was safe and their security would be guaranteed the next time they came. Come in June. But that was pretty much it for the Havana Sugar Kings and the International League. The next season, the Sugar Kings uh, moved to Jersey City. Sure. Which is far. The Cuba of America. Yes, it's far more beautiful. I would much rather be in Jersey City. Uh, New England, Havana. That's right. So Frank moved on to a Charleston team and in 1960 became a player coach in Syria. So he's getting older. 
right? His wisdom is needed, yeah. player coach. Yeah. He didn't do well as the player coach, and the next year <laughs> he yeah. recommended. Really felt like you were felt like you were building him up a little bit, like a player coach. I was like, all right. He recommended another manager take over, and the team agreed, and and they picked Frank's pick to be manager. He was like, "What about the, what if Frank? What if Jeff Jeff takes over?" And they're like, "Yeah, okay, Jeff will take over." Okay, so the one good managerial decision was I should fire myself. Yes, I'm not. I'm not working out. Um, he kept playing baseball for another three years and then it retired. So at this point, he played 18 seasons. Yeah, it's respectable. Yeah. So now he starts managing. Um, okay. His entire family was involved. The first job in Syracuse. Pauline played the organ for home games. Oh, wow. His four sons worked as bat boys, scoreboard operators, ground crew, and one even helped the announcer call road games by making sound effects. Wow. We're trying to have another to give the players water. <laughs> that we talked about in the Reagan episode where they would fake that the game was happening and hit the sound of bats and call it. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. That's which is fantastic. Now, to picture as manager. Oh, he really got underneath that one. Look <laughs> at that one fly. You can probably hear it on your dial. <laughs> so Frank, at this point, often drank homemade wine with the grounds crew as they played bocce in the field. So, um, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned he's Wait. Italian, right? Yeah, that's what you said were like some Italian things, and then he's <laughs> drinking tub hooch. So he would drink homemade wine and play bocce ball after games with the grounds crew in the field. Yeah, or on okay. days off. Yeah, sure. Reporter J. David Herman said, "Quote: Visit the Verdi home at any point during his career, and you'd likely see homemade pasta noodles draped over the back of the couch and be offered a glass of homemade wine." <laughs> Who is eating couch spaghetti? <laughs> what are you talking about? What, like, how do you put that in an article and have another thing to say right away? How is that possible? Anyone want some sofa tortellini? <laughs> Who wants a love seat lasagna? Let me know. I'm draping it on the back of these couch cushions that we put our heads on. So that'll be fine. Oh. And then I got the meatballs stuffed in the mattress, the couch bed. So the meatballs are down there. And then if anyone needs any Parmesan, I've just put it in the springs of the couch. So the meatballs are hibernating. They're almost ready. Yeah. Right now we're just sitting on the meatballs to heat them up. We do it like hen's eggs. Just... Yeah, we just sit on the meatballs and then we basically just turn our couch into a pasta holder. Is that fine? Do you want some wine from our turlet? Oh. God. Here, take a glass of wine from our toilet. Do yourself a favor. Have some rigatoni from in between these pillows. <laughs> Look at that. How good is that, huh? Take a meatball from under my bottom. Warm, isn't it? Uh, so his teams won. His teams won the division in 69 and 70. In 69, they won the Junior World Series. Frank is manager of the year of the league. Okay. Sports writer Dick Young noted, quote, if some club in the majors is looking for a man with a Vince Lombardi style of discipline that players seem to appreciate, Frank Verdi is their man. Just don't go to the showers. He's making pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, players like playing for him. He's a he's he's yeah. does have a hard edge, but then he's a nice guy on top. of it. he's like a dad type guy. So. All right. Yeah. 
And Frank also thought he deserved a chance at the majors or a pay raise, one or the other. He was like, okay. you know, uh, it's, it's time for me to get my due. He wasn't being paid well enough to take care of the family, um, and he wanted his raise to keep up with inflation. He wanted a $1,500 raise. Right. <clears throat> so he goes and manages a winter... That'll t- never pass both houses. <laughs> he, <laughs> he goes and manages a winter team in Puerto Rico. And while he's in Puerto Rico in the winter managing this team... He kept ripping articles out of the paper about the economy getting worse and mailing them to the Yankees GM. And sometimes he'd write comments on the side like, I, you know, I deserve fucking more money. Everything's going to shit. Wow. Strangely, that did not work. And instead of getting the raise, he was fired. <laughs> wow. Like, so you're not it's not cool to send your boss ransom letters. <laughs> I mean, that definitely sounds like the move a kidnapper would make. <laughs> Look at this. I deserve more. <laughs> okay. So after that, no, <clears throat> no other job offers came. Since he's a winning coach, he just won the World Series, that means that there's some sort of thing out there about him, right? Bad attitude, bad something, bad whatever. Yeah, right. Because to have, a, <clears throat> to have a good minor league manager is fantastic. Like, you, you know. Right. So he ends up getting a job as a steam fitter. A steam fitter? Oh, that steam's not going to land in this room <laughs> properly. Isn't it steam? Doesn't it just leave? Yeah, it, yeah but it, it's, this room is too cramped. You need to kind of move some of the things out of here. Otherwise, you're not going to get a lot of steam in here at all. I guess I don't know what you do. <laughs> I'm giving you an estimate on your steam and how it will be contained in this area. So it's not going to work as is. But I've had steam in here before. Well, it's not regulation steam. So Frank thought he thought he put so much into the game and he should be given something back. Quote, I've been in this game for 27 years and I don't have five cents to show for it. This is why you have to fight for a raise sometimes. And he feels like he's been blackballed. So he yeah. manages in the Puerto Rican win- Winter League and he wins the Caribbean uh, Series. He then has a sporadic time. He, then he gets a year off. Then he, he manages in Syracuse again. And then two years off. And then he manages in Denver. And then he's off for two years. So it's like fading away. And in between, he works at construction on the World Trade Center, a car salesman. He worked as a Pinkerton at Aqueduct wow. and Saratoga, Saratoga Racetracks. So he's just picking up any job he can. Right. One of his sons said, quote, he needed baseball. Taking away baseball was like taking heroin away from a junkie. So then in 1977, he gets a call to manage the Tidewater Tides in Florida. That's right. Tidewater and the name of the team is Tides. (laughs) It came to us in a late night brainstorming session. We wanted to be called the Tidewater Waters. It didn't seem right. And that's why my friend Randy came up with the great idea. Tidewater Tides. Like the uh, laundry detergent? No, nothing like the laundry detergent. Tide is a laundry detergent. We don't acknowledge that here. If that's something you're going to acknowledge, you're not going to work out here. I'm thinking... We are named, we are named Tidewater after Tidewater. And just tides. hear me out. I'm thinking uh, some sort of phrase, come on down, watch some ball, let's clean your clothes. Look, if, if this is how you're going to be 
get the fuck out of here. Tidewater Tides, Fresh Whites, great baseball. You know, when the Tampa Bay Tampas called themselves that, nobody made any weird connections like that, or the Fort Lauderdale Forts. We're the Tidewater Tides, and we deserve respect. Well, Tampa isn't another, isn't like a cleaning product. Sure it is. Haven't you ever tampered your car? <laughs> You've never spilled something and had to tamp it out of your rug? No. I haven't. Well, I don't know what <laughs> You got a lot to learn, amigo. Welcome aboard. <laughs> I got hired? Yeah, we were, drink- we were drinking wine we made. So the Tidewater Tides are a Mets team. And Frank spent tons of years in the Yankee organization and still all of his friends are Yankees. So at first he doesn't want the job. He's been out of baseball forever. And he's like, I don't want to play for the fucking Mets. Totally reasonable. That's the most reasonable. (laughs) Shut up, Dave. You're crazy. That just shows you like the level of connection. People feel it's in your bones. You feel it's a sport. I mean, the idea that like your livelihood as well as your general joy depend on a move like this and you're like hey who is it the Mets hey, no well my wife asked me the other day because my her and my son brought uh-huh. it up and he said it would be so amazing if I ever got drafted by the Dodgers because dad would have to root for the Dodgers and my wife told me that and I was like I wouldn't root for the Dodgers Good and Dave. she's like, what are you talking about? Dave, I was like, what are you talking? About? I can't root for the dog. I would root for him to win no, a game or Dave, do well and Dave, then lose. Dave, Dave, no, absolutely see, not. Dave, listen, no. I hear you see season one. Maybe that's your policy for no, sure. Not happening. Yes. Season two, you're going to be in. Bullshit. No, absolutely not. Yes, you will. You'll be like, oh, nothing like a Dodger dog. No. I was literally the way I was You'll born. You'll be buying those little bats. You, oh, come on. When I was born, I came out and the doctor said, you hate the Dodgers. No, the doctor said, you hate. <laughs> uh, so uh, Pauline, ends up, Pauline ends up talking him into taking the job. Uh, so he's now in his. <laughs> she's, she's just like, hey, that's really stupid to say no. Oh, okay, you're right. We honey, got honey, we got fucking pasta hanging off the furniture. Honey, take a seat on this linguine. And <laughs> so he's in his fifties. Uh, he still doesn't shy away from a fight. During one game, he was arguing with an umpire when a ball thrown out of the opposing dugout flew by his head. Quote, Verdi removed his jacket, cap, and spectacles and charged Charleston's bench. So he's ready to fight the whole bench. He is. I love also how he Mr. Rogers' stuff <laughs> off of himself. You know, he's like, take the shoes and take the jacket, the hat, the glasses. Excuse me, gentlemen, I'm on a suicide mission. <laughs> and uh, he gets... He gets held back by the umpires and players, so he doesn't get in there. But he's still fucking Frank. Like, he's in his 50s, and he's still going. Right. Dur- during another guy, in another game, Frank disliked a call and ran out to argue. And he said to the ump, quote, how can you call the son of a bitch safe? And then the player tapped Frank on the shoulder and said, quote, 
This is what Frank said. Quote, he had a very hurt look on his face and says, why did you call me a son of a bitch? And I said, no, no, I was just calling you a son of a bitch. It's a figure of speech. And he says, no, I heard you. What did I do to you? And the umpire starts laughing and walks away. And then I have to stand there and apologize to this kid because I had hurt his feelings. It killed the whole argument. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. That feels, that is like... I mean, that's that feels like a generational divide now, you know. Well, it's all uh, it's it's also a, a geographical divide because I think and like probably religious right. divide because I think you're talking about some kid from the streets of Brooklyn who grew up in a fairly rough neighborhood yeah. and Got then shot in the head in Havana, and then some kid who you know maybe grew up on a farm and went to church every week and can't cuss, yeah. right? And yeah. now they're together on a field, and this guy's just used uh, to swearing, and the other kid's like, "Wait a minute, what?" Well, how come you call me a son of a bitch, then? <laughs> Skip? Because you, you're not really a son. You never even met my mother. I know. I'm trying to let... Look, right now is not the time. Boy, sure know how to hurt a fella. I'm sorry. This is just... God damn it! Uh, Frank doesn't like umpires. Sure. Author J. David Herman, quote, he could respect an ump who reached a certain standard, but very few did in his eyes. Even mentioning prof- the profession could make Verdi cross. To hear, him te- <laughs> to hear him tell it, their incompetence threatened his livelihood, and he resented them. <laughs> 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 such a- I mean, <laughs> it, it, is, it is true, but it's also like, you know, you are, I mean... Like, I love watching the NBA because it's like, I don't know the last time a player thinks he committed a foul in the NBA. Yes. Like, it has been, like, five seasons since, like, a guy's owned a foul. Every foul, like, their, their hands are on their head going, what? <laughs> what? How? How? And then you see the replay and you're like, what? 100% a foul. <laughs> he almost killed that guy. During arguments, he would turn his cap around backwards so he could get as close to the umpire's face as possible while screaming. And they're saying now with baseball, with COVID uh, rules, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. <laughs> so uh, he lasted one season with the Tides. He was hired then again by the Yankees to manage AAA Columbus, Ohio. The team was very good. The Yankees spent a lot on players, and owner George Steinbrenner expected all of his teams to win. George Steinbrenner is a lunatic. When things got tense during games, Frank would go, uh, would sit in the dugout and sip wine, or sometimes he would leave the dugout and go to his office and have some brandy. (laughs) And and Dave, you know more about baseball than I. It seems strange to go to your office to drink during a game. Is that (laughs) correct that that is frowned upon? I don't know how normal that is. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that happens in games that we don't know about in the clubhouse and in the... Because I remember, uh, you know, a couple years ago, Pablo Sandoval got in trouble because in the middle of a game, he was taking a shit and he did an Instagram post. (laughs) What? (laughs) That is crazy. Um, So I don't know. A lot of stuff goes on. So Frank's just like the team's designated drinker. Well, back then, there was a shitload of drinking in baseball. Like, we can get into... During games? I, I Well, we've already talked about, like, the Pittsburgh Pirates. I think that, you know, drugs and drinking are just 
it just seems drinking seems like such a dumb one. I like know. Drugs, I'm not, I'm not like saying you should do drugs when you play sports, but you know, you could see like an amphetamine advantage you could understand versus like someone like, I'm going to do a little heroin before the game. Really lock into it. All it takes is you having two beers and then going four for four, and then you're going to drink for the rest of your life during games. Like there, that's also, there's also that thing where it's just superstition and, yeah, I've I've gone through versions of that with stand up where I'm like, it's good to have one, then you're loot, you know. But remember, it's not, never. It's by the way, it's never true. In the San, o- San Jose Bees episode we did a couple weeks ago, there's a third baseman who was never not drunk. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just, it, you know, there, there's man. obviously some alcoholism going on here. I think that specifically during this time, there's a lot of alcoholism in baseball. Um, okay. I, I'm not going to say whether or not Frank is, but there are signs that we might have an issue, right? Such as uh, going to your office to drink brandy during a game? And sipping wine in the dugout. Yeah, those are probably two. Right. <laughs> Where's Skip? Uh, he's getting blackout wine drunk at the end of the bench. <laughs> oh, okay. In 1981 at spring training, there was a party at Whitey Ford's house, and they were all eating chili when Frank made a joke, and everyone started laughing. And Whitey started laughing, and he sucked a bean down his windpipe and started choking. Oh, Jesus Christ. And then he collapsed and started turning purple. Uh, wrong color. Frank then punched Whitey in the chest as hard as he could. Okay, so and he's obviously not familiar with some tactics. <laughs> chest, punch. <laughs> chest, chest punch is like sniffing around techniques that we're familiar with. What are you supposed to do? Spit down his ass and punch him in the chest. <laughs> Nothing happens, so he punches him as hard as he can again. And then the bean popped out, and Whitey took a breath. Oh, my God. I want to say two things. First of all, really crazy way to save someone's life. But number two, who dies from a chili bean? How small is your fucking windpipe? Like a chili bean, bro? Yeah. Also, how do you feel if you crack a joke so good it kills a friend? <laughs> like, for me, that would be a very difficult position. I'd be like, God damn it, I miss Andy so much. He was such a good friend of mine. But man, the timing with me is oh. getting better and better. I mean, that was right on. <laughs> uh, but he saved Waddy Ford's life, and Waddy Ford that decade would go on to be an amazing manager, right? He, he was right, the manager yeah. in the eighties. Um, so some, some believe Frank never got a shot because of his behavior. An ex player of his quote, maybe he rubbed some people the wrong way. He was not always politically correct. Sure. Politically incorrect would be an understatement for Frank. Okay. Sometimes Frank would do a mock native American dance to summon rainouts when they were losing. Uh. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> and next. <laughs> <laughs> His favorite saying was, quote, kiss a fat lady's ass. What? In, what? Is, is there context that that would work? Uh, I, I don't know how that would work. I didn't get an example right. of it. It but would I, probably be something like, you know, well, if you want to switch the lineup, then go ahead. But if you think that's going to work, you may as well go kiss a fat lady's ass. Yeah, I think that's right. But then even then you're like, okay. What? I don't. Uh, he called people who upset him cock knockers. Oh, come on, you cock knocker. Yeah. Quit knocking my cock so much and give in. 
I think cock knockers is when two cocks are knocking together. It's a gay guy yeah. thing, right? The cock knock as opposed sure, to yeah. as opposed to a guy just walking up and knocking on a cock. Hello. I I prefer that one. And then you undo your fly and you're like, hello. Uh, one practice, he was sitting next to the team's GM and an infielder made a terrible play. Frank, quote, you see him fielding that ground ball? It looks like he's fucking a beach ball. So he just. That one actually kind of works. It kind of works, but he's not, uh, you know, he's not no. s- subtle. He's like. No, 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 no. And it's also just a crazy, you know, thing to think. <laughs> like he's fucking a beach ball. Cut to the guy literally fucking a beach ball. Oh, yeah. Ah, it's, yeah, it's going to cost us. I'll be in my office brandying. Uh, on top of all this, Frank had a temper. When he was managing in Syracuse, he got so angry one day that he tore his office door off its hinges. Wow. Could you imagine? Hulk. That is Hulk. That's that Hulk is strength. fucking crazy. Yeah, I think he can still play. Another time during a road game, he was so upset with an umpire's bad call, he, quote, went berserk, turned beet red, and refused to leave the field after he was ejected. The umpire summoned a sheriff, a deputy sheriff, handling security at the ballpark. Get him off the field, the sheriff orders deputy. You get him off, the deputy responded. Nobody wanted to go near him. What deputy? <laughs> like, that is a very public shellacking. You get him off the field. All right, this deputy is not... <laughs> Very awkward. What I'm in charge. I'm, not, I'm in charge. You are a deputy. Right. You I'm go the, get him out of here. I'm the deputy sheriff. I'm above you. Deputy sheriff. No, you're not. You don't have an extra word. You just have sheriff. I'm deputy sheriff. Because I'm above I don't you. need a qualifier. I'm two words. Above it you. Matter. It's not a word. Go get him. You're fired. It's not how it works. I appreciate if you didn't talk to the deputy like that. Frank also hated losing. The Rochester GM said he'd never seen anyone who hated to lose as much as Frank. Uh, Herman, quote, family members said each time Frank lost a baseball game, a little bit of his soul was lost too. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, I get it, but... Buddy, it's a game. (laughs) It is. I mean, come on. You're still going to have pasta on your couch when you get home. Imagine, imagine being that guy's player. You get in the dugout, and he's like, a little piece of me died today. Well, I'm not comfortable with this level of guilt. I'll see you boys tomorrow. Hey, how about tomorrow? You as a team don't try to kill a little part of me. It's just very hard to look at it like that. It's not Dying motivating. inside. You're, it's- as a team, like my personal cancer. Let's get out there and hit, boys. I'm not in the mood to try, to be honest. Feels... Well, now you know how that little dead part of me feels. Okay. All right. I think we're all quitting. So yeah, Let's go, boys! Team quits. So. By 1982, he is openly sipping wine in the dugout. He would it's just... nice to get to that. But that's you got to reprimand someone. Yeah. At some point, someone has to say, hey, you don't get drunk during the game. Otherwise, he's like, all right, here's the plan. Is going to be a bottle of Merlot, and then we'll, I'll be at the, at the end of the dugout with a bunch of um, seeds, <laughs> and you guys will go out, and we'll, we'll make it work, okay? But the first thing is, has anyone ever seen uh, 
a grown man in his approximate 50s open a bottle of wine with a shoe? Raise your hand if you have. <sighs> and raise your hand if you haven't. Raise your hand if you haven't. Raise your hand if Raise your hand, oh boy! Raise your hand if you hadn't. Raise your hand if you hadn't Coach. about the wine question. Coach, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because this is this is important. Who knows um, what a cork? This is, and this is going to relate to the game today. For I see the yeah. eye rolling. Um, it, the, a cork is a very is basically the catcher of the bottle, and my mouth is the fastball. Okay, coach. So when I open this, hold on. This is really. This is gonna be a very relevant lesson in so so soon amount of time. And then you get a, the. And then if you can get the shoe under the wine, and you get the cork out, you can have about a wine. <laughs> okay. You so haven't told us who's pitching. Okay. We know, right off the bat, I said there is not going to be a pitcher today. Um, today, there we were not even going uh, to worry about that. Okay, the, what we're going to do is we're we're going to get a bunch of appetizers and we'll just make an afternoon of it in here. Right? I'll pitch. Who? All right, all right, let's do this. Who's our pitcher? Who's the pitch before? You haven't told us who the who the pitcher is today. We got a bunch of pitchers. We got eight, ten guys that pitch. It's okay. We have all ten guys will pitch today. <laughs> to be fair about it, because it's as and this team is about the one true thing, which is, does anyone know how to get coke? <laughs> Can anyone get coke today? He drink it out of a small club cup in the dugout and the trainer, Steve Donahue, had the job of bringing him wine. Frank would just shout Donahue grapes, grapes. I am going to absolutely use that when the world opens. <laughs> Excuse me, can I see your grapes list? <laughs> grapes! Ah. He's still a great... He's, he's having a really good year. He's a good manager. They finished sure. second that year. So in 1982, wow. Steinbrenner... And they don't have a good team, and they finished second. So Steinbrenner has a meeting with the other Yankee hires up to decide who's going to coach where next year. And Steinbrenner says... He thinks Frank, it's time to bring Frank up to the majors. Everyone nods, except one guy, Clyde King. Billy Billy Martin, and there will be a Billy Martin doll for sure at some point. Billy Martin once called King a, quote, Bible-toting hypocrite. Stan Williams called him, quote, a con man and an asshole and the worst backstabber in baseball. But for some reason, Steinbrenner likes King, and King does not like Frank. Okay. In, uh, so King, after Steinbrenner says it's time to move up to the majors, King says, Frank, uh, he had one of their best, best pitchers pitch on three days rest. So he just blurts that out. It's a lie. It didn't happen. And it also doesn't matter that much. But Steinbrenner flips out. Steinbrenner's crazy flips flips out about this information that's fake yes yes okay it's a total lie and steinbrenner says what fire him wow what uh george can we just talk about um what balance (laughs) so 
the other people are like, no, wait, that's harsh. That's not a firing offense. Kill him. Kill him in the streets like the dog he is. But that's it. Frank's He's out of fired. a job. He's fired because some guy just lied about him who is a backstabber. He right. should. Yeah. So in 1983, he should have been coaching in the majors. Instead, he's right. looking for a job because of one asshole, Clyde King. King. Don't be a Clyde. That's all we're saying. Yeah, that's why we're. That's why here at the Dollop, we do not like monarchy. So where does Frank end up in 1983? Managing the Class A San Jose Bees. Oh wow! Now this is before Harry Steve took over. Two years later, right. Frank then, after that, coached in Rochester in 1984, and he's fired in 1985, and then he accepts, then Harry takes over the San Jose Bees, and he accepts the job managing the San Jose Bees. But at the same time, Whitey Ford goes to Steinbrenner and is like, you gotta hire Frank. Frank's a good guy, and really pushes him. And Steinbrenner says, okay, and hires Frank as a scout. And that's like five days before the season starts. So Frank bails on managing the San Jose Bees. So George Steinbrenner is just like a vacant sale? There can definitely be. A, I never thought about this. There can be a Steinbrenner for sure. Because I want to do a Billy Martin. But then you get into Billy Martin and you get into Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner is super rich, out of his fucking mind. How did he get rich? I, I don't remember, but I, I, I think it's real estate. Right. But, I, you know, we should do a Steinbrenner one because it's – there's also so much drinking in those days. I don't know if he was a drinker, but it's really like that. Like just – I mean, a guy, would, a guy would win the World Series and he'd be like, you're fired. Like it was just the craziest. What are you out of your mind? Get out of here. The point is to lose in six. Um, I, think he, I think he fired Billy Martin like five times. Like it's really just bananas. Um, okay. So Steinbrenner hires him on as a scout, and Frank bails on the bees like five days before the season starts, and that's how our bees episode, you know, begins. Yeah. Um, and he takes a scouting job with the Yankees. Uh, he did that for a little bit. After that, he was assistant manager at St. Leo College in Florida. Then in 1993, Harry is now uh, the owner of the San Jose, the Sioux Falls Canaries, an independent team, and he hires Frank to be manager. Frank's now 67. But then later that year, or the next year, he had a quadruple bypass. And Frank comes back, but Harry sees him on the bus and is like, fuck, if this guy has any sort of heart problem on the bus, he's just going to die. We're not going to be able to get him to a hospital because we'll be in the middle of nowhere. So he decides to demote Frank to hitting instructor, which is a position that doesn't go on the bus and travel. Sure. So Frank's like, this is only about saving money, and he blames Harry for the position this puts him in, quote, if you want to know the truth, Harry cut my legs out from under me. Who's going to hire a 69-year-old man that people say is sick? And Frank filed age discrimination charges against Harry. Wow. The Equal Opportunity, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission dismissed the charges. But Frank was right. Uh, it was his last job managing. He's also 69. You know, it, it's hard to yeah. keep a job when you're that old, especially in the, yeah. the minors. Frank had, Frank had been a ma- manager for and a player for 50 years, and he was now getting a pension of $142.60 a month. Oof. Part of that is because pensions didn't kick in until much later in his career, so he didn't, you know, they didn't have right. pensions before that. So now retired, he moves to Florida, he helps coach high school players. And then in 2002, 
for some reason, the Newark team in the minors offers him a job as pitching coach. And the team goes to the championship series. And in the final game, the manager gets suspended for being in a brawl. And Frank manages one last game in his career. It's the title oh game, and they win the title. Wow. That's the last... Did he get shot in the head? Or did <laughs> he, he did not. He did not. Oh, and that was the last time he ever put on a uniform. Uh, Frank was inducted into the Syracuse Baseball Hall of Fame in 1999, the Bingham Baseball Shrine in 2004, the International League Hall of Fame in 2008. And then Frank Verity passed away on July 9th, 2010, at the age of 84. Frank's son said he, quote, considered himself blessed that he could do what he loved. He loved the thinking part of the game. Billy Martin once said it was a sin he didn't get to manage in the big leagues. One day, one of Frank's ex-players was in a cab in New York City when a car cut them off. And the cabbie yelled, quote, you cock knocker. Whoa. And the ex-player told the cabbie, one of the people he was closest to in the world used to say that. And the cabbie asked who. And the player said, Frank Verdi. And the cabbie responded, that cock knocker? Turns out he had grown up with Frank and they played a lot of pool together in Brooklyn. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> Can you imagine saying cock knocker and then like looking in the backseat of your cab and seeing a guy like go like. <laughs> <laughs> Are you crying? It's just. Cockknocker really always um, uh, takes me back to a simpler time. I used to know a homophobic guy. The cockknocker. Um, that's crazy. Done a story. Uh, yeah, I. You know, it's like <laughs> it's it's really tough because, I, like, I mean, obviously, like this guy was a flawed individual, but if he did deserve to have a role a bigger role in his occupation. It is, I mean, there's just this in life. There's just so much bullshit. Like the idea that this guy says something and that completely can change the trajectory of your life, you know, and there's just so much shit that's like that, that is totally unfair. And like, you look at it. I mean, even when you look at like the landscape today, it's just like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing when you have to depend on other people for your livelihood, and it's even worse when they people can just be dishonest and undercut you. Yeah, and I think people would say, "Well, but look about look at how he acted." But it was, but you look at baseball, and it, it, baseball was just littered with guys like this. So he was I, really singled out. Sports makes exception for character yeah. flaws. Oh, come on! Every year, yeah. I mean, there it goes on and on and on. You know, and um, there are very very few times where someone does something and is held accountable because it's the right thing to do. It's like, normally it's the person is, you know, not worth the headache or they don't have the talent to put up, but it's never just like, it it really is. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's disgusting in many ways, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. Like it's a weird little, a weird little existence, you know? Yeah. And then it's also like why, you know, as a, as a country, we need, we need safety nets. Like, yeah, you can be fucked for something that's got nothing to do with how good you are at yeah. something. And also, you know, what if you're just not good at stuff? Then you should also not have to live yeah, in poverty that, and what, be like. Yeah, what does that mean? That means, ah, sorry, nice try. Next time, <laughs> you're like, 
yeah, help. You have to help. Yeah, we should just, we should. I look at this guy and, you know, he's living in poverty. He's making pasta on his couch or whatever. And it, yeah. he, he says he can't take care of his family. And it's like, well, you know, everyone should be able to take care of their family. It really is. And, like, the way the landscape is today, it's just that, you know, you yeah, I mean, it is, le- there's just less and less of that. I mean, that is, like, such a foreign thought now. I mean, again, we've, like, talked about it before, but it is, you now live in a world where you operate from a place of fear, not a place of hope. Yeah. And that was, like, the whole, th- that was the whole thing. The whole idea was that it would be, like, a hopeful existence, one where you're like, hey, what do we, what can't we do? And now it's like, what can I afford? It's just fucking nuts. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, as stand-ups, you, you know, when you, when you decide to be a stand-up, you're, you're jumping without a net. Like, you can, oh, yeah. we, we both know plenty of guys who got into their 40s and it just didn't work out and now they're, you know, doing 100 night gigs in a bar and stuff and it's, it's tough. Uh, yeah. And some of that's, you know, some of that, is just you know luck. Um, a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of entertainment is luck. I mean, yeah, I was I can't remember who I was talking to, but they were saying like, I mean, you know, with entertainment, it's like you you go in and <laughs> you kind of don't have a choice. I mean, if you get involved in this industry, it is very much like sports. It's like you've you've pretty much carved your path, and and it is what it is. Um, and you are you are at the mercy of so many people who have you know opinions that are wrong. Not just about you, but about tons of shit. Yeah. And they're the gatekeepers. Yeah. So it is true. Got to take care of people. Um, so a couple of main sources. Uh, I mentioned him a couple of times, but J. David Herman, uh, the book Almost Yankees, The Summer of 81 and the Greatest Baseball Team You've Never Heard Of. And then there is a website, uh, the Society for American Baseball Research. And I took a... Some articles out of that. Um, interesting stuff, though. Another baseball really one. People yeah. were like, oh, I love the baseball ones. I was like, yeah, so do I. Uh, <laughs> I love the baseball ones. So maybe we'll get more I baseball loathe, ones. I, lo- I loathe them. Well, it was really good to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. Hope to see you again sometime. We, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we sell uh, baseballs. We sign baseballs. Thank you. We sign baseballs. Yes. Go stand outside of your house and they'll fly out. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Gobble, gobble. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't. But we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it. But either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, 
Dublin, September 17th. And September 19th, Manchester. Birmingham, September 20th. Bristol, September 22nd. And Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.